This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the first episode of Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsuk, and it's time to get down and deep and a little dirty, definitely sweaty, about Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Everything about this wonderful world show, series of books, series of encyclopedias and research books, and fan fictions, costumes, anything you want, and I could not do it. Without the man who actually created the name of this show, Lon Harris. Uh, yes, Casterly Talk. I, I came up with a list of Game of Thrones puns. It's probably 30 items yeah. long. Most terrible. I don't have it in front of me. I, <laughs> I wish just, still, I wish I had that. It. And that was when we were over at, uh, both over at uh, Screen Junkies. Yes. Um, uh, we were doing Watching Thrones. We we're, were. Going to do that. Before we decided on calling it, I, I never liked, a certain person mm. we don't have to discuss, no. yeah. liked the branding of, like, verb show. <laughs> verb so, like, show. hacking Mr. Robot, watching Thrones, knocking yeah. dead. I, I was never a big no. fan of this. No, me, me either. And I get from a... If you're flipping through, and this was initially on Plus, this last season you guys moved it to Screen Junkies News, sure. I believe. So if you're yes. flipping through the thumbnails and you want to, you get a quick shot of watching Thrones. Oh, that seems like a Game of Thrones. I get that, but what fun it is to name it something a little bit more creative. Yeah, have a little fun. There's so the great thing about Game of Thrones, such a rich world. Yeah, so many pun opportunities. <laughs> All you do is you just think of like one. Thing that exists in that world yeah. and then you just start spinning off like I'll do one right now like oysters clams and cockles that's a thing <laughs> so you could do oysters clams and talkles and now you have a now, podcast now you, now you have a podcast that one's specifically about bravo sculpture <laughs> it's a bravo it's Bravosi. a bravo podcast and I think that's one of your superhero skills is just coming up with names, titles, puns. Sure. It would be it would be like get lawn. It'd be like that'd be the documentary. <laughs> get lawn for puns. Well, that's my process. You've just figured it out. Yeah. You come up with what are the terms, what are the things that are memorable from that thing, and then you just start spinning out the rhymes. Oh, I like that. that. See, I always thought it's a, I I shoot for the puns first, and I think I need to yeah, find no. what's real first. So so this I'm sure yeah. one of the things I came up with was I was going through all the names of all the properties. So like High Garden and Winterfell and King's Landing and blah, 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 blah. Sunspear. And then get Castle Rock, Castle Talk. I I also love Castle Rock because we really haven't ever spent any time there. We didn't. I mean, finally, season seven, we get a glimpse. A glimpse. Really a moment. A little brief moment. But yeah, Castle Talk it is. I think there was our short list of names. For that show. Sure, yeah. It got tossed out. <laughs> Watching Thrones was born, and hey, that was great fun. The first season, and then last season, uh, Spencer, Michelle, Roth, and others uh, stepped in. I know you were on yeah. that show a lot, too. Uh, but Casterly Talk is here. It's right. now, and I reached out to Lon said, number one, can I use the name? Number two, can you come along for the ride? So even though this is the pilot episode as we develop Casterly Talk, uh, hopefully I want to do it monthly, and maybe even more. We'll see where it goes. 
Lon, Lon Harris, uh, Mr. Research, will be here with us there. And I, I want to start there, Lon, as we look into the show about why, sure. why this worked. Why do we think this show, this property, caught on in 2011 in such a way and became this thing? It, it is. It's crazy now to think about. I, 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 I've never read the books. I didn't go back with this property. I'd heard right. of it because I worked at bookstores. Sure. So I was like, oh, Game of Thrones. I know that that's a series. High it, concept fantasy. Got it. Well, yeah. in the same way that like I think of Wheel of Time Wheel of now. Time. That's <laughs> yeah. a, a series I haven't read. I'm aware of it. I know um, that it's very yeah. long and that there's lots of them. There's like 20. Yeah. You could make a show out of it theoretically. And I, I, it's been optioned and that's, that might be the next show we have to do. They're going to try for yeah. sure at yeah. this point. Uh, but now looking back, knowing what I know about it, it seems like this is too complicated. <laughs> like It right. seems like every meeting Benioff and Weiss would have tower executives not like well you can't do it there's right. too much you need too much background information to understand what is happening and that was kind of my thought about the show mm. early on in season one like the first four or five episodes were you I, lost or yeah, yeah i okay. was and i i even sort of debated like well maybe this isn't for me maybe it's mm. you and i like fantasy i lord of the rings sure grew up with that um, so I, I was interested right away but yeah it is it's very dense and, and i do think that they had a tough time sort of the first half of season one mm. bringing you up because things have to be happening in the show. Right. But they also have to be like, well, but this is what the hand of the King does. This is where Winterfell is. And this is what's different between the North and King's landing. And right. we're like, Oh, this, okay. You know, like you have to kind of pause every five minutes and be like, Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, that's like the Targaryens <laughs> used to be in Westeros, but now they got kicked out and now they're in Essos. Like, Oh, oh okay. Essos is this other continent. And it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, kind of, it kind a of, whole other show, yeah. Yeah, it sort of drags down the storytelling a little bit in the beginning. But overall, I mm. think they did a remarkable job. And that, yeah. to me, is what really the fun of Game of Thrones, beyond the individual characters and performances being great, the effects being great, the action, all the little things you could pick out and praise about the show. To me, what I think the number one thing is that they've managed to do mm. is really tell you the whole history of this alternate yeah. fantasy world and make it feel really real and make it feel really in-depth and make it feel interesting and and like it exists outside the, the margins of the show. Yeah, and you can connect with things that you want that are real world, you know? <laughs> you sure. Know? Uh, I've had some people you know, believe uh, the, the White Walkers and the coming of the Night King means one certain thing and another person th- has yeah. another opinion on it. And, and then, but you can also get lost in what you're saying. This world that George R. R. Martin has done such a wonderful, genius-level job of creating. He's a yeah. special kind of egg. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because <laughs> there's... There's people who are great writers and they're great at creating stories or characters that are memorable and meaningful. But then there's this other ability to create this whole alternate reality that nonetheless feels similar to our own, recognizable, but different and and interesting enough that you want to keep learning more about the differences between their world and our world. And, And I think that's what makes the show fun to keep going back to is that you know you you you're exploring all of these abstract ideas and there's so many of them and they're coming at you so fast and once you do start to feel like familiar with it it's yeah. very satisfying oh yeah it's like a little once you're like you know westerosi history more yeah. than almost real world history it's it's a it's a <laughs> crowning achievement in your nerd life right yeah and i mean it this show more than any other and i mean i think on some level and i don't want to mm. distract us too much but like every fandom 
that's part of the appeal is that yeah. if you dig really into the fandom, you start to see all these little connections that people who don't know the fandom as well don't see. Right. And I think that Game of Thrones is particularly good, maybe more so than other franchises, especially mm. recently. I think like part of what the Star Wars franchise right. is going through right now mm. is that yeah. people want that and they don't feel like they have it as much. Right. It, it, it's this big, warm blanket of world to crawl under. Right. And, and everybody's getting all the references. It doesn't, yep. it doesn't, whereas, you know, if you do know a lot about, you know, Westerosi religion mm. and then you go into the Temple of Black and White and you recognize, oh, they've got little totems of all the little, of all the different gods from around Westeros. Like that, and, and the show is, every scene has a thing like that. Every, yeah. And, and that that really rewards your patience and rewards your close attention. Yeah. And yeah. And, and it's easy to focus on when we're talking about the show, because obviously the book's around from 1996. And I, I was like you, I, I had heard about them. I had some employees of mine at the time as the show was ramping up. And I think it was going into production and they were talking, they were reading the books. They were waiting mm-hmm. for the fifth book. Right. And at the back of my head, I was like, I don't even know, like, who, what are they talking about? And I'm, I'm the nerdiest of the nerds. But even I was like, man talking about knights and kings and seven kingdoms. I don't know what's going on there. And, you know, I feel stupid. I feel, I feel like I missed the the boat early on, but I'm also not that kind of reader. I, I, I read historical biographies. (laughs) Uh, I got books on Wyatt Earp, you know what I mean? Um, But then the show comes out and look, we can point to the dragons, the sex and the sex position and all the sexy things and the violence and all these things that make sense to me on paper. Yeah. This show would work. But really, what you're describing, the first four or five episodes, they didn't have these big battles. It was all dialogue and politics, sure. scheming and dreaming. Yeah. How I, did that work? I, I mean, well, I, like, I, I don't I don't really know. I, if I knew, I'd be creating my own <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, like, they, they're, they just balanced really well between hmm. giving you enough that was interesting, that was happening in real time, that you were like, this guy Ned Stark seems very conflicted yeah. and, and you know there's a lot of depth going on he's he's hacking people's heads off but he's also a caring dad yeah. um you know and i think that they, they gave you enough of that to where you you kind of get pulled along there's the mystery of what happened to john aaron yeah um there's the friendship between king robert and ned um and you know i mean Tyrion's a lot of fun to sort of follow around you also get a little incest in there episode one <laughs> good old-fashioned incest um so so i mean they do use kind of the sexiness and the eroticism yeah. to kind of keep you um but no i think that they it just balancing all of these different elements all at once is you know how they manage to sort of pull people in i do think on one level when you're talking about how did they immediately grab people mm. i do think part of that was that they cast it so well they really and that Amelia Clark and Peter Dinklage yeah. and you know some of these actors Charles Dance although he's not yeah. in it right away so not, no, yeah but he comes in later uh, season episode seven but yeah. Kit, Kit Harrington yeah a, a lot of these Sean Bean obviously yeah he's a, a lot yeah a lot of these very likable people very charismatic actors and they're they're playing you know big mm. roles yeah. and 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 I think that's part of it too that that more so than something like John from Cincinnati. This is like right. something big to latch onto that like, well, this is costumes and it's elaborate and it's mm-hmm. epic. I'm going to sort of give it more of a chance than maybe I would. Yeah, I mean, this is the post Lord of the Rings world where Jackson sure. comes in and faces some of the initial problems at New Line that I'm sure trying to get Game of Thrones off the ground oh, faced. Man, you yeah, know, I will give you two movies. <laughs> I think I need 10, but I'll take three. Right. Um, and then and you need these actors. So it's, it's, it's still so well cast, even 
with uh, like I'll say some of the smaller parts, the day players, the guest stars, mm-hmm. the co-stars that come in for these episodes. I the one who uh, the old former slave turned, who's a teacher, who's like ba- comes to beg Danny, like please let me go be a slave again because I had it good. That mm-hmm. old guy is oh, yeah, one yeah. of the best little performances, and he's got that's it, that's a scene, and I think the show succeeds in that too, and it pulls you in. But we're in the pilot, yeah. Go ahead. Well, one one more thing I was going to say is. Uh, Early on, too, I think one of the elements that really got me hooked was that it has a horror element. And I think yes. that fantasy and horror, two great tastes that go great together, but we don't <laughs> often see them combined. Together like it, it, at last. Yeah, like it's a Willow kind of plays with a little yeah. bit of that, and I, I really like how that movie does it. But yeah, I think, and, and Conan, the Conan films sort of yep. have cult, the culty, occult side of things um but i think that like the the very first scene of game of thrones yeah is a white walker scene it's a it's a scary zombie movie scene it and absolutely I, is and i think that is a really key like you're gonna get your romantic knights and tournaments and dragons and all that mm-hmm. but there is also this grisly horror element to this it's a question we've either asked whether it be a watching thrones when i was hosting talking thrones on, on collider um or thrones talk whatever we called it yeah, it's yeah. The verbs and titles. Yeah. <laughs> Casterly talk is why it's such a great name. I always ask, you know, what hooked you? What hooked you the moment? And that, for me, not knowing anything about this property, but knowing I'd seen like a teaser. I saw George R. R. Martin on set and just like, wow, this is coming together great. Mm-hmm. And Sean Bean, I, I'm like, I'm always like, Trevelyan, not Boromir. Trevelyan's in this movie, on uh, this show. Um, it is that opening scene because... You you have uh, Waymer Royce going out there, Matt Damon Jr. as we call him, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like I'm already on board. Snow, night uh, night watchman. What is this thing? And then it scared me. It yeah. liter- literally scared me. I think with any property like this where it's it's historical, it's European. I think for Americans, you have to have that moment that lets Americans know like. This isn't merchant ivory. I think yeah. Americans always go in <laughs> and there's like you. there's like five percent anxiety that the thing you're watching is gonna become Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And like everybody'd be like standing around in drawing rooms <laughs> or like, it is an example of my decadence. And like I think <laughs> the that the hand of the king is here. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that Game of Thrones with it a first few scenes, it's like there's zombies. Sean Bean's beheading a guy. Yes. There's wolves. We're bringing wolves back to the <laughs> castle. I think they did a really good job of being like, this isn't Wolf Hall. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. You're not going to need to know a lot about which one was Edward and which one was Henry. Yeah. And I think that that went a long way, too, because a lot of British shows, I think they're great and Americans would like them if they could just get past the anxiety about. I, I You know, it's so funny. You know. Totally off. the the. you ever watch The Detectorists? I think it's a, yeah. I, I know what it, I haven't yeah. watched it, and it's a and it's a great show. Um, but it never moves past level one on the speed meter. Mm-hmm. And I had to like took me a couple episodes to be like, oh, I need to readjust my laugh yeah. a minute meter. Right, and and Brits they grow up with that BBC kind of yeah. content, and they they're just used to watching like literary adaptations or whatever, and they don't have that anxiety. <laughs> they could just jump in. <laughs> God and it's like, him. oh, Howard's End. I'm in. This is great. <laughs> and America's like, would it's not like they're dumber and wouldn't be capable. Of, chamber dramas are great. Yeah, uh, I think they just have that. There's that little like, no, wait, did Oscar Wilde write this? <laughs> oh, everybody's in a top hat, <laughs> you know. And it's just like too much wainscoting, and they're out <laughs> right away. Everyone's in a top hat, indeed. Uh, this for the first pilot, the first uh, episode ends with the, you know a ten year old boy being pushed out of a tower, right. 
And I think that's a great way to end it, dude. But now you talked about being, you know, somewhat lost or oh, worried throughout. throughout I, mean, I was complete- lost through all of season one. It was, it mm. was, I was almost done with season one. Yeah. I was on like episode seven or eight. I think Ned Stark was like arrested. Yeah. Episode and seven. I, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm not following this. I had a moment of realization of like, the, I, I'm very roughly following it. Like mm-hmm. th- this guy and he's rich and he lives in the North and his friend is the King. And he came down to where the King lives. And now he's like caught up in all of this in drama drama. Like I was that far. Yeah. But I would, I what I just got that. I wasn't getting into it enough. And I went back to the beginning and I rewatched mm. the whole show up until that point. Okay. So by the time season one was over, like the finale of season one, I'd already seen the first season. Oh, twice. Wow. You'd gone back. And that's what did it. Like, I really think to this day, if somebody is like, oh, yeah, I really like Game of Thrones. Like, how many times have you watched each season? Because that second viewing of the episode is so, so important. If you can hear my voice right now and you like Game of Thrones, watch each episode twice. It is fascinating to me. And look, I've watched episodes sometimes four times in one night when we were doing Watching Thrones. Mm -hmm. You and I would watch the show in in separate places, separate beds, because I'd be curled up in bed watching (laughs) it. Sometimes I'd be curled up at the foot of the bed. The foot of the bed. uh, Three or four times. Yes, I was making producer notes, but, you know, and I know not everyone has time for that. But I'm still surprised that some people who are like, like you said, oh, I love Game of Thrones. You know what? I finally watched the first season again. It's it's season seven right now. Yeah. yeah. I started to understand things better. I'm like, it's how like, did you go through seven seasons? Oh, you, and I, JT got mad at me one day. It was, uh, this guy, we used, we used to call him Handsome. His name's Ryan. Ryan, we know so, Handsome. So Handsome and JTE are in the studio setting up, probably yeah. talking, throw, watching, talking watching Thrones. Thrones. Barf, uh, barf and Thrones. And, and I said, and I stand by this. They both got offended. If you haven't watched every episode of Game of Thrones twice, mm-hmm. you aren't really following Game of Thrones. And I, I, I stand by that. I, I, st- I stand by that too, it's sir. It's too complicated. It's not like you're stupid. Yeah. It's nobody could follow it mm-hmm. the way that it's meant to be followed with only one viewing. The the thing I always come back to, the, the, the example that I like to use is the blackfish. Yes. Now, by the time the blackfish becomes a vital part of the story, mm-hmm. you've met him like four times. Right. But you've never, he's never really registered. Never registered. It's like, tell the Tullys. The, there's, I, they're, they're, related. Family, yeah. they're related to Ned's wife. Yeah. They, they have a, they have a castle. I'm done with, they have the, a it's fish. Their sigil is a fish. I like fish. I'm done with the Tullys forever. <laughs> That's your mindset. Until you go back and start rewatching those episodes and mentally log like, oh, Brendan Tully, yeah. we've now met. Oh, him again. We saw him last season. Now we see him again. He's probably an important he's, figure. He's I something. should keep in mind. And then when it does, when he does become a central character and enter mm-hmm. and his sacrifice where it becomes crucial. It's so much, the payoff is so much more it's because important. you've seen the steps and you've gotten to know him and you know where he, how other people think of him and where he is a relation to all the other people in this world. I, I think there's, when you rewatch, there's like two different directions to go. And I think you need to go both directions when you rewatch it, which is one, you rewatch it to go back and kind of learn all the histories that they mention. 
You know, there's things being dropped. And obviously, if you read the books, uh, the prophecies get so deep and they're both, they're both, they're about the future, but they're also about the past. And so I love getting wrapped up in the past. We're going to talk about the Age of Heroes at the end yeah. of this episode here, um, about the prequel series and all that stuff. But so I think go that. And then you can watch it to pick up on what you think is going to happen in the future and get kind of locked into that story. It mm-hmm. is kind of, you got to put a little bit of effort into it. It's all, it's, but people it's, have done that. It's a good, it's a good amount of effort, but I think the, the payoff is, it's, Mm-hmm. The payoff is significant enough that it's worth it to put in that amount of effort, even though it's a fictional world mm-hmm. that does not actually impact you in any <laughs> it, real way. It seems as though it does at times. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do think it is. It's worth it's worth the hard work because mm-hmm. they have put in enough really thoughtful, clever connections between everything, and it is really satisfying when you can sort of see things coming like we used to before this most recent season we were already kind of clued into like well the brotherhood without banners yeah they're gonna come back and be a vital link because there's you kinda, something there right yeah. well the lord of light and the connection between them and melisandre and the show kind of tipped its hat to all that stuff yeah but not if you were watching casually there's no way oh there's no way there's there's you no way never we wouldn't have even known, known mm-hmm. beric dondarian you okay. wouldn't have even been able to spot him in a crowd well bob Bar- yes he was recast but that's also one of my favorite little things of to someone who hasn't really watched the show, but is a fan. And again, we're talking to the, because you might just not connect to the show. That's different. But if you're listening to Casterly Talk, I right? I'm you assuming, are. yeah, baseline, you like it, the show. It is Beric Dondarrion because you go back to season one, mm-hmm. different actor, but Ned sends him out. Yeah. And that Says is as the boop, name underrated. It's under the radar. Yeah. Boop, gone. And oh, then, right. we meet him again. And you and like, yeah, there and there's so many mm-hmm. that it's just going back and rewatching. That's yeah. the only way to do it. There's no you couldn't. But you could have charts and there's mm-hmm. no like one page of the Westeros dictionary right. you can look at. No, that makes try. all these connections. And, you just gotta watch. And it. sometimes it's the map. And I'm a sucker for maps. Now I love like Lord of the Rings maps. You know, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll look at that. Uh, Star Wars is not. You know, it's different to map it out. But there's galaxy maps. Sure. So I'll be like, ooh, that planet's close to. And I love that. And I love histories because I, I am a history buff myself. So this show taps into that for me. So I'm hooked from the White Walkers in the beginning, and the rest is just me connecting to it in that kind of. Uh, away, but I think with the 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 theme song, the the opening sequence, I think it deserves a lot of credit because it you're in, you're humming it, the world yeah. is humming it, but you're also learning as you go there too, and I think that helped pull some people. Oh in. well, yeah, and I mean you're it. That's always a fun moment. I, yeah. I, it was sometime in the first season when you realize like. Oh, the map in the beginning actually links up to the locations <laughs> we're going to visit yeah. that week. It's general, not random. Yeah. Like, I kind of thought they had three and they were just playing, playing them. them. It's like, oh, no, no, no we no, go no. to the wall this week. So it, in the same way, there was just, I think it might have been the Vulture. One of the blogs just did a really good piece about how we don't really ever think about previously on. Yeah. But how much that shapes your expectations of what you're about to watch. Right, right. You know, like when you're like like previously on the walking dead and then you see a morgan scene and your brain registers like morgan's gonna be the main character this week and like we interact with that so much without really thinking about it and this is sort of another level of that like when you're watching the map in the beginning you're already kind of thinking like oh interesting someone's going to bravos this week i wonder what you know like you're kind of already doing that and it was the season three premiere i had a little premiere party at my house and when the credits pop up and uh, you have well, the, the cold open is of course with uh, with Jor Mormont that uh, Jor Mormont mm-hmm. that season, um, but uh, <laughs> it goes to credits and with Winterfell on fire. Yeah, holy moly! That was like that was 
Yeah, it really. We gets cheered. It. Yeah, like, like a little, like, oh! a little change like that. But it, you know, it had, and then the same thing. Like when people noticed that the lights at the Citadel, yeah, resembled the sun from the opening. Yeah. Just like those little little layers. details. Yeah. Now, with you being quote unquote lost in the middle, and you take your time out and research there. What is there a specific thing outside of just your own personal? Ooh, I'm starting to understand it. Was there a moment that you were like, I, I'm hooked, or? Was there a moment early on that you're like, I know I want, I'm hooked on this show, but I want to give it its due by going back and researching it myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the by the end of season one, like by mm-hmm. the conclusion of season one, certainly the death of Ned Stark and the sort of yeah. shock moment of that. That was when I was like, all right, I, th- these guys are doing something interesting right. that is not expected. Because I still, yeah. you know, you could watch a lot of season one and it's, the detail stands out and how thought out everything is. And, you know, sort of like much like when you study European history, like the yeah. dynasties and all the complexity of that. But I don't think I really realized until, yeah, the death of Ned Stark, like how much he was playing with the conventions of mm. fantasy writing yeah. as a genre. Oh, I think the nation mourned that day. Yeah. <laughs> that, like The next morning was sad. It's not necessarily going to be these traditional setup payoffs mm-hmm. like you're sort of thinking. Maybe it is, but over the course of a decade instead right. of over the course of a season where you're used Oof. to, yeah. you know, like... The long play. Well, yeah, I mean, because... Uh, Sopranos, groundbreaking. I love the show. I am not yeah. here to knock Sopranos. I love it. Let's right. do a Sopranos podcast next. Okay. But... Sopranos, you know, every season it's like we're getting introduced to a new guy. He's probably going to be a nemesis for Tony by the end of the season. This guy, you know, Joey Pants might not make it to the end of the season. We're going to have to figure out. And that that became sort of the formula. And Game of Thrones just relentlessly refuses to do that. And I think once I got clued into like, nope, we're not going to set up the villain that you love to hate and then – the season will end with the good guy chopping his head off. Right. Maybe that will happen sometimes. Maybe. Maybe that will not happen sometimes. Yeah. There's no way you're going to know. And I think that was what was really exciting. Like, oh, I really have no idea what's coming next. Everything's on the table, so to speak. And I I think as the show moves on, and I think we're seeing some of... I I love season seven, but some of the fan reactions, um, you know, we're starting to get solutions. We're getting solutions now. And sometimes the solutions aren't the solutions we want, or it goes against what we learned from seasons one through five. Or it's just, it's a, it's a conclusion Mm -hmm. instead of a momentary situation. Like, like everything in Game of Thrones up until now has been like, well, the Starks are down, but not out, you know, like it's ongoing. And I think now... There's an inevitably going to be some level of disappointment of like some of these stories are ending. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, which I think like the Baelish one and everything, but we'll talk about that as oh, casually yeah. talk goes on. But yeah, Ober Martell in season four is a, is a great example of. Uh, by this time, I had read ahead in the books, and so I knew it was coming. But mm-hmm. I was you know watching with people who didn't, and and I wasn't doing the videotaping them type of thing. No, there, I'm yeah. sure sure could have got a million views, but you know. <laughs> I wanted to let them experience it. And I'll tell you, they were even with Ned Stark going, you know, even with yeah. uh, Stannis not winning the throne, which is, I think, against the stories we might be. We're used to whether you like Stannis or not. He's going to King's Landing. The Lannisters, the bad guys. He's going to. Oh, he lost. So all this stuff happens. And then season four, Oberyn comes in and it's like the same thing happens again. We're like, no, yeah. no, no. But it, it, it bucks the, the tradition. In, in that case, they did such a good job of making it unthinkable yeah. that he would lose. Like, because we love this character. Pedro mm-hmm. Pascal can't get written off the show after just one season. Right. Uh, 
it would be the death of Tyrion, another we beloved love. character who we think has plot armor yeah. and can't die. Everyone hates the mountain. Nobody wants to see the mountain <laughs> win a huge victory. So there's so much stacked into like, well, maybe they'll come up with some way to make it yeah. surprising, but we all know who's going to win this fight. And then to go the other way and just crush yeah. everyone's dreams Literally. along with <laughs> along with a skull. Could it be then that to answer our, our topic here, our big question of what make this show makes the show and made the show work, could it be, Lon, that we just are addicted to the heartbreak? Yeah, I mean, I think unpredictability goes a hugely long way, certainly with me. Yeah. Um, and I think oh, yeah. I think with, with a lot of audiences, too, if you can, after seven seasons, it's a really hard thing to do, yeah. after seven seasons, to really keep people guessing. And I'll point to another show. I, I, sure. I've used this example already. Not a bad show. I don't mean to be doing the good show versus bad show. Sure. But The Walking Dead, another right. show that's been on for a very long, long time. time, like Game of Thrones. But has kind of fallen into a little bit of repetitiveness, mm. a little bit of like, well, I kind of get the, I, I get how these seasons are organized. And when the season opens and Rick is, we don't know exactly where in the timeline he is. Yeah. We don't know exactly what he's talking about when he's like, my love won over my wrath. You're like, I bet I know what he's talking about. <laughs> okay. And you kind of get there. Right. And there's no chance with Game of no Thrones. And I chance. think that that really does at this when you're talking about this level of longevity, I think that's very important. I, I think it is. I think it is. We might not be the scientists needed to answer this great question of what hooks you into Game of Thrones, but there's definitely some reasons there. Um, and, you know, we'll see if season eight comes on and the cl- conclusions of all conclusions yeah. falls into our laps as fans. We'll see what that does to us as well. But we're going to keep going on here on Casterly Talk more in a bit. HBO's Game of Thrones is now a certified hit that helped change the landscape of television. But the first attempt at the pilot episode was a disaster. The failed first pilot is now part of Game of Thrones lore among fans. Originally shot in 2009 under the direction of Tom McCarthy, the first attempt at the episode titled Winter is Coming fell flat and 90% of the episode was reshot. The two biggest changes were prominent recastings. The role of Daenerys Targaryen was originally played by the Tudor's actor Tamsin Merchant, and the Tony Award-winning Jennifer Ely played Catelyn Stark. Also, a cameo from George R.R. R. Martin as an attendee of the Daenerys Targaryen called Drogo wedding was also cut due to the reshoots. Co-creator David Benioff said that the process of making the first pilot was a deeply humiliating, painful experience and admitted that one key plot point was accidentally excluded from the first script. It was never established that Jamie and Cersei Lannister were siblings. The reshot pilot aired in April 2011 and nearly 7 million fans watched it during that first week. All right, back in studio here on Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Namtalk. I'm here with Lon Harris. We forgot to mention butts. That's... But- Let's go back the last like why did Game of Thrones take off butts? butts. Very attractive butts. <laughs> That'll work every time. <laughs> I mean both genders. All over just the a place. ton of butts all over. <laughs> Wolf butt too. It's all yeah, there. Just, like you it's really all there. Maybe the best butt show in TV. In history, TV, right? TV. I, I would say so. NYPD Blue had that very famous mm, on screen butt, yeah. but it was just the one. Could you imagine if Dennis Franz jumps over to Game of Thrones? <laughs> That could work. Yes. Cast them secretly in season I love eight. It. So season eight is, <laughs> you know. One Jersey guy. One Jersey it's guy. Like, where did this? He's doing his Carmine character <laughs> like, from uh, Die Hard 2. 
That would be great. Love it. I love that it. would be great. Season eight is uh, going to be here faster than we know it. It's been a long wait, I know, but we're going to have the yeah. show Game of Thrones wrapping up. But Lon, that's that's not going to be it for Game of Thrones on HBO. Certainly not. No surprise to anyone here. We're going <laughs> to get the prequel series, and we we knew there was always talk for I think for about season five, season six, people started to wonder. You know, right. yeah, but I, I, I love what they did. I love the announcement yeah. that they made because I think that so many of us assumed mm. that it was going to be Robert's Rebellion, right? Which is the natural. I, I like, I like this a lot better. But that seems like the natural thing you do. The you could cast younger versions of a lot of the right. characters. Ned Stark coming back, Robert Baratheon coming back. Yep. Like I was so sure. I was so sure that's what they were. going When do. I first started hearing the whispers, it made sense. Even after you saw the flashback scenes that started popping up there, what was that season uh, six? They started really right, yeah. uh, popping up there, and in the young Ned Stark and all that stuff. Because because again. Hey, you like this stuff. We're going to give you this characters, you know, right. They're always so scared to do that. It's a totally different era. So they can't, you know, they want to do mm-hmm. the star Wars. They want to be like I Chewie guess. can show up. Right. You got to know, you know, yeah. these characters, you're comfortable. Exactly. Um, so I, I was thinking, but then the words start coming out. George R. Martin says, we're not going to do Robert's rebellion. I've already told uh, much of that story in the books. Therefore in the show, right. The story's already been told. And I, I, I even heard that and was like, I, I understand but it is money in business for talking but, about. Yeah, I mean, well, what prequels have ever come out where we didn't know any of the yeah. story? Like, we knew what happened to Anakin Skywalker, we did. too. Yeah, so then word comes out that four, then five different prequel pilots and concepts are being worked on. George R. R. Barton had his hands in all of them, and then uh, Brian Cogman, current writer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, known as kind of the lore and book guy on the show's writing staff. Now, he has a series, and I thought whatever that one was was going to be the winner, but no, we ended up going with the age of heroes seems to be emerging and emerged as the favorite of the prequel series we're going to get now yeah. uh, lawn on on the show castle talk with the help of others like rachel cushion and michelle boyd we'll go into the age of heroes and what it really means but we've got some research we know a little bit about it Whew, where do you think the show will go where do you think it starts what do we think age of heroes well a- age of heroes i mean the the event that it includes that we've heard a lot about is the long night so right. this is the era when the original war mm-hmm. between the, the sort of at that point the first men and yeah. the white walkers happened so so like before the age of heroes is when the children of the forest create the first white walker we've actually seen, seen that, that in game of thrones right. that's even before the age character of, of leaf would be there yeah, yeah that's yeah uh, so the Age of Heroes sort of kicks off when the war between the Children of the Forest and the First Men ends. Right. They form an alliance, mm-hmm. and then I believe a thousand years or so after that, that's when the the Long Night and the battle against yeah. the White Walkers happens. So, wh- so it seems like that would be a natural thing to lead into. Yeah, which is you got a thousand years. What do you do? You know. So right. that's fun to play with, but it's also to it's a it's a interesting bookend to me when I thought about it that way because I I was. Uh, I was if I didn't put any money down on, on it at Vegas, but my my choice was Age of Heroes, so I was very publicly happy when this came. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Dance with Dragons, Blackfire Rebellions, those dragons, those Targaryens. Get it? Uh, the Aegon's Conquest is fascinating. Sure, and I'm sure that was kicked around, but they had re- released that 45 minute animated uh, kind of uh, faux documentary they do. I also feel like that, like Game of Thrones, is so good at the lead up to mm. war and that is a that's just like a war story I mean, yeah battle after battle and the dragons right. just 
burning down the entire continent. Yeah, and you kind of again kind of know right. where it's going if if you're a fan of any you know uh, average level and you, you've read enough of them or you've gone to the wikis and done your research <laughs> there. But yeah. once I really kind of thought about, it, oh, the Age of Heroes ends. Whether or not we cover it a thousand years on the show doesn't matter. It ends with the Long Night, something we're familiar with, the others, the White Walkers, Azor Ahai, sure. all these things. And then we pick it up in Game of Thrones, and that's where it kind of picks up again, is the White Walkers have returned. Right. So it's something we're familiar with. You can bookend the series in that way, yes. uh, or at least their fandom there. So I think it's a great starting It's point. also a narrative that, I mean, if we do talk about the construction of the wall, the yes. sort of first men really taking on the fight against the White Walkers, that's when you start to talk about these characters who are the ancestors to yeah. our characters. And I do think Bran the Builder, you know, the, the original Lannisters, like th- I don't think they're going to be able to resist the the thrall of pulling them in. It's it's too interesting. Some of the names that are, you know, featured here, you got Dar- uh, Duran, uh, God's Grief, Bran the Builder, which is, of course, Bran Stark, Bran Stark, mm-hmm. Lan the Clever, who takes Casterly Rock yeah. from the Casterlies, the Grey King, Garth Greenhand. And House- Lan the Clever, Lannister. Lannister, yeah. uh, House Gardener, which uh, eventually um, is wiped clean, and uh, House Tyrell takes over the oh, uh, like High Garden, High Garden, yeah, all that stuff, yeah. uh, and others down the line there. So, so I mean, I think I don't think they're going to be able to resist bringing us some of these characters right. because it's going to be so fun to see the formation of these great houses that we've been following. Um, A lot of fun. Yeah, I had pitched on TV fights. Little side trip. <laughs> Uh, I think it was TV fights or maybe it was, it was movie fights. We were doing Harry, we were doing a Harry Potter fight. And the question was sort of like, what would be the best Harry Potter prequel? Mm, Yeah. And I had a very sort of similar concept, which would be the formation of Hogwarts. Yeah. You see Godric Gryffindor and Rowena Ravenclaw. And you were like, we've been hearing so much about these like epic mythic figures. You'd want to see them together actually making the school. And it works. It works for me more than seeing young Robert Baratheon. Right. Because we we sort of already had a chance to do a show about them. And these are, we know them only by reputation, only by their deeds. Yeah. We don't know anything about them. And yet we do because they're Starks and Lannisters and Targaryens. Although that's another interesting Mm. thing I wanted to get into. Yeah. Uh, One thing I read on uh, Wikia. Ooh. (laughs) I've moved my eyebrows up. uh, Was that this is, again, this is George R. R. Martin playing very much into like real history. Right. This is sort of Westeros's Bronze Age Ah. because the Andals, you know, Queen of the Andals, they haven't come to Westeros. They haven't arrived yet. yet. So it's sort of like an Angles meet the Saxons sort of deal. Yep. So this is, it's almost like comparing like if, if Game of Thrones is sort of like, King Arthur, like mm-hmm. high medieval fantasy. This is almost like our Bronze Age. Like yeah. this is Beowulf. Yes. And and so to explore that, like this is before knights and courtliness and, and yeah. all of that. There's gonna it's not really gonna be swords, it's much more primitive. And and, and the building of these castles we eventually know. And and, and the these are and, yeah. and even uh, I was looking into this too, because this was so fascinating to me. Like, even that, like what we think of as like the classic medieval castle building style that we know from game of thrones right even that is 
Different, yeah. Post-dated. This is like Moat Kalin, like those yes. little ring castles. <laughs> like that's this era, so that's what the fortifications are going to yeah. look like. Stuff like that is so nerdy and cool to me. And fascinating. If, if you can, you know, like we're going to take a look at this totally different sort of period in Westeros history and look at all the different ways it's going to filter out and make like day-to-day mm. life different. Even though, you know, it'll still be diplomacy and castles yeah. and war and you know, all, all that stuff is still happening. No Targaryens, no dragons. Right. Well, they haven't come you know? over to Westeros So yet. that'll be interesting, too, is if, if dragons are your pool, this might be a, a problem. Or... Yeah. Do we sort of we'll play around with it? Yeah, I think because Valyria is going on. It exists, time. right? So I think that you can fudge the like. We may not have because if you are talking ah. about, but if you're talking about medieval history and record keeping in Game of Thrones, yeah, it's not going to be perfect or exact. It's entirely possible historical events happened that those the maesters of Game of Thrones era don't have record. Yeah, of. the Doom of Valyria has not happened yet, and you just touched upon something that I was going to get to, and it's very important because if you watch the histories and lore video of the Age of Heroes, uh, Isaac Hempstead White is the VO, and he's very young, so it might be on the season one or season two wow, discs. Way back. That's about two and a half minutes. You can find them on YouTube, but you know, grab the DVDs, Blu-rays, and watch them there. They're great stuff if you haven't watched the history and lore videos. He's talking at about the Age of Heroes, and he says, in, in short, I'm paraphrasing, that he goes because he goes through Brand the Builder, Land the Clever, all these things. These are all mysteries and fairy tales, so we don't know if they're true. Right. But every, and he says this line exactly, but every one of the seven kingdoms is defined by them. Yeah. And that is the heart of the show. Yeah. How... Is there, did the, did the Grey King really fight a mermaid or marry, you know, the, the storm's end? Uh, was it really a right. magic curse? You know, all that and, stuff. And what's so great about that is that it's 100% true and accurate to real Earth history. Like I yeah. mentioned Beowulf. Beowulf was written, you know, like several hundred years after it's set mm. by Christians who were writing about a like pre-Christian right. pagan mm-hmm. society. So the... They're making up myths about their history that are now our history of them. And like it's in it's it's in the same way. It's gonna yeah. be we've heard about the Age of Heroes from characters at a different point in Westeros history, but they don't they're benighted. They don't yeah. know. They're listening to the old guys in the Citadel with the robes who are pulling the random scrolls. And those guys that we've seen are very fallible. Yeah. So I love almost that they like to control the narrative. Right. So I love on. that idea that well, there really isn't anything to say that we couldn't have dragons in this show. Oh, the week we totally could, and that, and yeah. we we will probably. I, I sense that one thing they will do that would be really fun mm-hmm. is to show us quote unquote real events that happened yeah. in the Age of Heroes that became mythologized uh, yeah. by the time we get to Game of Thrones. And what, and what? So what I love about Game of Thrones, especially season one, and by the end uh, where we are at with season seven, is magic is coming back. It doesn't exist in this world. Season one, season two. You know the the warlocks of Karth are just getting their powers back right. because Danny's dragons are, are returned. So magic returns as fans who maybe aren't high fantasy magic kind of fans start to get used to it um they start to go back so it's also a very tolkien it's tolkien yeah that like the magic is sort of seeped out of the world but then sauron's return kind of brings Brings it it back back in and so i like playing with that which also going back to what you're saying is yeah we might see the normal 
thinks of what's going on, what Land the Clever is doing, or right. how the Grey the Greyjoys became the Greyjoys. But then I have to imagine there is some magic there that will confirm some of the legends, which will be part of the fun for me as well. I sure. want the wall to be of magic. Oh, we, yeah. And we see what happens in the end now, at the end of season seven, but I want there to be a horn, horn of Joraman connected to this wall and 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 the giants and all these uh, and magic holding it together. Sure, yeah. I mean, th- right. And that and that's going we to be... We don't know what, what it will be. Right. Yeah. And that, I think, is going to be the fun of going back so far into history is that, mm-hmm. yeah, they get to... Really rewrite it on the fly. Yeah. There, there isn't a lot of concrete. Like if you're doing Robert's Rebellion, there's a lot of concrete stuff you kind of have, have to do. To. You know, you can fudge with the margins, and having George R. R. Martin involved with it is is uh, is very interesting to me. Uh, so as we round the corner on this conversation here, uh, in terms of the actual show and how you approach it and the stories you tell again we got a thousand years we're playing with here i don't know which direction i want to go i don't want to i don't know if i want to be closer to the long night or following the pact with the children that's a long time right that's what i I mean and honestly for the first season if it's in keeping with game of thrones we may still not really even have this answer like we'll know okay it's about these three or four families or people living in this region of westeros because that's the other thing is i don't I'm I'm not I'm not mm. up enough on my Westerosi history to know this, but basically the first men became the 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 Northerners. Yes, yes. I don't I, I don't think we're going to be getting down south very. Like, we probably won't be spending a lot of time in King's Landing, Highgarden, yeah. Dorne. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the first well, men made it. That yeah, well, yeah, and, and King's Landing came more out of uh, Aegon's conquest right. and all that kind of stuff. So that, so that, that wouldn't right. have really been a. That would have been like yeah. a little port or whatever. Not really even right. a settlement at this. point. I mean, High Garden. It's all on the table. But you're right. The things even then that we don't know, King's Landing couldn't even be mentioned. And you know what right. it was before. Or before. like Moat Kalen in the neck might yeah. be the south. And yeah, that's like as far exactly. south as it goes. Uh, so I mean, I think that stuff is really fascinating. And and you know, I, I think we'll probably be exploring the north more mm-hmm. as like the centerpiece of the show because right. that was where the first men were living we also yeah. at this point in history i believe first men wild leagues it's all one it's all big one kind of crazy group. thing yeah so that's another sort of big picture theme that might mm-hmm. emerge over the course of this show is the drawing apart of those communities and yeah. how the sort of Westerosi became mm-hmm. the Westerosi versus how the wildlings became the wildlings. Well, yeah, we always hear, hey, those wildlings, those free folk just happen to be born on the wrong side of a wall after it was put up. They can play around with that idea. Right, which is also a very, like, that would be the conventional idea among yeah. the people. Like, well, they're on the wrong side of the wall, but obviously there's more. Yeah, more to it, more to yeah. it. Do you feel, and this is, a, this is, you know, all these are tough questions to answer. We're just speculating here wildly. Um, do you need a center family or house like we have with Starks is brand the builder that guy do you think it needs to focus on that or do you do you feel you just it's the land and the world itself I mean, this, I this think time around you're gonna have to zero in on some some people for us to root for and against mm-hmm. and and I don't I mean the conventional traditional idea would be yeah brand the builder would mm-hmm. make we we love the Starks do. in Game of Thrones we want to keep loving more Starks <laughs> I, that's that's the definite play it safe yeah. But we do know that George R. R. Martin does not like to do that. Yeah. I think it would be very Martin-esque to mm. center this show 
around a house we maybe don't like from like yeah. if the Lannisters oh, are the really that. yeah wouldn't that be great if the Lannisters are the really likable compelling people charismatic house in this one and the the Starks are you know like <laughs> you you can do that sort of you stuff could. like it's not you know there's no mm-hmm. rules about mm-hmm. which houses are have to be our heroes but I do think on some level you're gonna have to stake out some heroes and villains right. just like the new show has otherwise it's just too. There, we, we need something to grab on to. wild speculation and we need a looming threat so it'll be on either- that but that's yeah and that's you know i don't know if the long night is that looming threat because i, I have to research a little bit well, I probably was, not because yeah. they wouldn't know they wouldn't know you wouldn't know you're in the long night until you're in it yeah exactly so giant ice spiders coming down thanks nan um yeah it, it's so yeah they're that the looming threat and you know wild speculation time it's like does does Bran Stark that we know now the 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 you know who becomes the three eyed Raven does does he is he Bran the Builder that wild theory I don't think so I'd never bought into that but it's like does it, is it connected in any, that kind of way was George going to reveal that do you uh, do you even want something like that I don't I don't think like we'll have Isaac Hampstead Wright mm. play Bran the Builder or oh, that he'll wow, be yeah. the same dude like right. I don't think they're yeah, going to quite yeah. go that far but I absolutely think. Yeah. He's he's already baked in a way to interact the two series. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any resisting the idea that these two worlds can communicate through this right. one force. You it, know, it will be interesting to see if you know with George R. R. Martin kind of in the early development process in the HBO when their producers take their hands on it there. Uh, and who is it? Is it Jane? I, 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 yes. Jane. Uh, it's a woman named Jane Esperson. Uh, Esperson. I, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I don't want to mangle her last name. And I just Jane, did. is it Jane Goodall? No, she's the primatologist. She's the, yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. But it's something similar to that. It might it? be kind of like a Goodall, yeah, yeah, but it is yeah. not Jane Goodall. Yeah, uh, I'm typing up in it now. She's how- the one who, like, you, you, she touches the chimp's hand. And <laughs> yes, that's right. Show. That's Jane Goodall. <laughs> Uh, um, as I looked that up, though, though, yeah. So, you, how 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 much do you think uh, Jane Goldman? Goldman. Jane uh, Goldman. Oh, Jane Goldman. We want to give her the credit she deserves. Nice Jewish girl, and I couldn't yeah. remember her name. What she is. is uh, she's running this pilot. They're working with George. So, do you think? I mean, how 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 connected? Other than the worlds and, and the brand stuff aside. Do you want how it's obviously going to have to have its own identity, but do you have the look and the feel? How much do you want it to just feel I, like the same show? I'd love for them to. I think the fact that this is taking place in Westeros, mm-hmm. it's a Game of Thrones spinoff. To me, that's enough. Dude, right. Other than that, I would love as mm-hmm. much as they can for them to go their own way. And that's why I think like I was bringing up the Bronze Age versus the sure. medieval. Like that's why that's so exciting to me on some levels. Mm-hmm. Like, they really can't just kind of revert back to doing Game of Thrones mm-hmm. because the society wasn't really there. They can't yet. use the same sets, the same castle sets, they can't. Yeah, well, but it's even like the culture cuz the Andals again right. are like that's they're the ones bringing sort of the chivalrous, yep. the more sort of sophisticated the cosmopolitan. Yep. They're right, the, the faith of the seven yep. is the Andals. So you're really talking more about it it's like every stereotype that southerners in game of thrones have about northerners <laughs> in game of thrones that they're this kind of like rough warrior sort yeah. of brutish like they live in this Boring, sort of drab. really you know harsh landscape or whatever it's dull yeah like that's the society that we're going to yeah so it's a totally different it's more like you know viking culture mm-hmm. almost in some ways 
So you really can't. They have to kind of do something totally new. They yeah. they can't fall back too much on their rest on their laurels and make it too similar because it's thousands of years before. Which is why I love it as an idea and why I think it really works as a as a prequel idea. I'm very curious of what else was in the uh, works. Oh yeah, I, I eventually I'm yep. sure we'll have to get all the info on here's all the different and maybe, things they were planning. You know, maybe another one pops up, one in the summer, one series in the winter. I don't know. Why not, right? Two Game of Thrones series a year not bad. What is what is I uh, mean, you we we've had there've been times in history yeah. where there were two Star Trek shows on TV yeah. at one time. We can relive that. So, why not? Why not? There's there's precedent already. As we close here, Lon, thoughts on what might have the other ones have been we know robert's rebellion wasn't on the table uh, i absolutely think like doom of valeria and the mm. targaryen invasion of westeros must yeah. have been appealing i also feel like i would love to think about the future i would love uh, yeah. to hear about what what's what's a hundred years beyond <laughs> the, the war of the five kings because we know from european history yeah it, it, it's not like it slowed down and, and nothing else exciting happened. Right, right. It kept being very exciting. When's the first car in Westeros? We get that episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, like, I love thinking about stuff like that. Like, yeah. how far could you take it for real? Like, could we get to the renaissance of Game of yeah. Thrones era? And then could we get to the, the age of, of Game of Thrones <laughs> enlightenment? And, you know. The uh, Battlestar Galactica ending there. They end up, uh, you yeah. know, back in time. But, I mean, I really do yeah. think, like, they... they you could very easily, based on the raw materials you already have from Game of Thrones, they have set up like mm-hmm. the the next generation. Like you yeah. could definitely have done a sequel series. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. That also will tie into how season eight ends and the story ends. What's left in I mean, Westeros? There, I Leanna think Lyanna Mormont as a as a, as a as, grown woman would be quite. <laughs> I'd a follow that series right there, right now. Uh, I think uh, the, the Blackfire Rebellion. It's a lot of that kind of stuff, but. Tantalizing because uh, George R. R. Martin kept kind of hinting that there's some times and eras that we weren't really familiar with, you know? Well, sure. I mean, and that's, again, true of medieval history. Uh, you know, if you think about, like, they 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 knew a lot about, like, the Greeks and the Romans. Then mm-hmm. yeah. not, not much. They didn't have yeah. good records. So we could, yeah, there, there could totally right be only a few hundred years before the action that we're seeing and it's events that they don't really know much right. about. Plus... The show has still left huge pockets unexplored. Yeah. Like the the Tarleys. I mean, like... The Tarleys, We don't know anything about the Tarleys or Horn Hill or that whole... There's large pockets of land we've never been to. I want a series on the Summer Isles. (laughs) And, you know, the the Shadow by a Shy. Shy by the Shadow, I should say. Yeah, there's a lot there. Intentionally, I think, left blank. I mean, I feel like that may be stuff they're leaving for other... Series, other series, we may other not books. ever get to a shine, and we may never season. get the book series actually ending because George is busy, busy, busy. Come on, George, come on, George. Well, uh, we'll find out soon. It's wide open territory with the Age of Heroes and what that show might be. So, we uh, had some fun speculating. What do you guys think? Let us know. Use the hashtag Casterly Talk and pitch your Age of Heroes show to us here. On Casterly Talk, it's going to be a fun uh, wait to Season 8 and a fun wait to Age of Heroes. We'll get through it together. That is the first episode of Casterly Talk. Lon, uh, thanks so much for making this happen here today. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, It's always fun talking with you. Tell uh, tell them where they can follow you and pitch their own show ideas. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. 
Four letters. Gotta love it. And uh, follow, you know, sign up for my newsletter. I write a newsletter yeah. about streaming TV and movies mm. for a company called Inside. We cover Game of Thrones along Ooh. with everything else that's on your, your Netflix, your Hulus, your YouTubes even. Uh, inside.com slash streaming. That's where to sign up for that. It's free. I send it out twice a week. I love sign it. Up. Follow Lon. Lawns is the best branding on Twitter. L-O-N-S, right? Not bad. That's it. All right. More Casually Talk after this. Hi, everybody. I'm Thomas Rissling, and welcome to Ruminations from the Realm. Today, what I wanted to talk about is the idea of how hardship is used in Game of Thrones, specifically from the point of view of each character. And even more specifically, I guess, how the immediate loss of a character's strongest traitor ability is often used by the writers to force an immediate evolution or adaptation from that character as a coping or survival mechanism. Now, I mean, this is done repeatedly with a myriad of characters from Game of Thrones, but the one that I want to use today as an example for discussion is Jaime Lannister. When we first meet Jaime Lannister, you know, he's, he's the Kingslayer. He's brash, he's arrogant, he's the son of a rich lord, a well-known rich lord. He's wearing gilded armor, he's got his cape, he's the best swordsman in the Seven Kingdoms. He sleeps with his sister, and he uses all of those facts to murder and intimidate, often and pretty much without any kind of hesitation or remorse. But, when Jamie loses his sword hand, the hand that arguably made him who he is, or who he believes himself to be, and us as the viewers and readers... I think at this point, we also believe that sword hand to be a huge part of who Jamie is. When he loses that hand, he is forced into a state of change, or, or adaptation if you will, where he has to adapt to survive. He still is pretty horrible when he first loses his hand, but slowly, he does begin to change. And it's that turn from kind of pure evil to seeing the error of some of his ways is why many of us are starting to see Jamie as a bit of a protagonist. He's starting to make decisions for the right. He's making those decisions because he's seen so much of this repetitive pattern from people like Cersei and his father and Tyrion. I mean, maybe less so Tyrion, but Still, Cersei and his father the most, and, and even Robert to some extent, and the Mad King before him. These patterns, he's watched people fail in these patterns of complacency and comfortability. And what he seems to be forced into doing by losing his hand is, is evolving through what would have been his version of that, his version of that complacency. And we end up with a character that many of us now, as I said before, now kind of feel attached to. I don't want bad to happen to Jamie Lannister at this point. Spoilers, if you're not caught up with the series, I'm, I'm assuming at this point you should be. Um, Jamie Lannister leaves. I mean, I, we are yet to fully have confirmation of where he's going. I, one would assume Winterfell. Or whatever part of North he'll get to before the impending doom meets him first. But he's leaving. He's leaving behind everything he's known and everything he's built his character around because as he has changed after losing his hand, so too has the way he sees his environment and all of the things that contributed to his complacency, to that kind of abhorrent behavior that he so often flaunted has changed and he doesn't see the same value in it. 
yes, the impending doom is one thing, but if you put that aside and just think from a character perspective, this is a man who has been forced to go through some extreme change and some extreme loss in a very short period of time. And it forced him to become a better person and to grow as a person. Now, whether you like Jamie or not, that's, you know, that's whatever. But I mean, you can't deny that Jamie as a person throughout the arc in the books and show has grown. And I think the one thing that we can all take from this is the idea that hardship, if if we don't force ourselves to continually adapt and change and grow within ourselves in our own lives, these hardships will just get dropped at our doorstep and force us to make these changes, whether we like it or not. And no one needs that. We're all capable of making those changes and forcing positive change in our own lives. We just have to commit to it. And sometimes that's easier said than done, I know. But we can all do it. And this is the message that I took from this. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Ken, for giving me the platform to share these thoughts. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Ruminations from the Realm. Thank you, Thomas. Ruminations from the Realm will be a regular segment here on Casterly Talk. That's our pilot episode. For more information on how to help me build the show, go to patreon.com slash the Napsock Files. Casterly Talk will be back. Thanks for listening to Casterly Talk. Like our page on Facebook and join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag Casterly Talk.